house hunting. It's like a second job. You wouldn't believe how many people have these properties, you know, that the listing reads like it's the Taj Mahal. And you get there and it's a shed with a barn door on it. Worst thing that ever happened was HGTV. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. And that was Michael Vensky. Michael is not only a friend, a colleague, but he is also a voice actor, and you can learn more about him at michaelvensky.com. We want to thank him for all the intros that he's been recording. I am Chris Boyer, one of your co-hosts today, and I am joined by my friend and colleague, Reed Smith. Reed, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Before we get started, a quick favor, quick detour. Uh, I don't want to take a whole lot of time, but did want to point out, and we've mentioned it in previous shows, that uh, Touchpoint has a new website. Touchpoint.health launched back towards the first of the year, and I couldn't say a lot about it at the time, but the reason we did that is because we were actually going to roll out some new shows, not new episodes, new shows. Very quickly, if you have time, would love for you to go to Touchpoint.health, check out what all we've got going on there. A couple of new shows have launched. One of them is on reputation management uh, with our friends over at Binary Fountain. Uh, That is titled, That's What They Said. Uh, we also have our newest show called Forum Quorum, done in partnership with the fine folks over at the Forum for Healthcare Strategists. So a couple new things for you to check out. I would love your feedback. And there's a couple more on the horizon, a couple more shows coming your mm-hmm. way. So keep an eye on the uh, on the website. Speaking of partners and, uh, no pun intended, loyal supporters, maybe we give a little, uh, little love to our folks over at Loyal Health. That's right. Uh, Well, for most consumers, read the search for a healthcare provider is a frustrating maze of bewildering choices and unanswered questions. And they really want to hear what other patients have to say in order to make a decision with confidence. And that's where our sponsor, Loyal Healthcare, comes in. With Loyal's Empower Solution, you've got the tools to do just that. Empower the patient and provide a solution. You can maximize star ratings while introducing deeper insights into what patients are really saying about their experience. Sort, approve, and even publish patient reviews of physician services and practices using some of the intelligent features built into the system like auto-approval and syntax highlighting. To learn more, and side note, be sure to tell them that we sent you, visit them online at loyalhealth.com. That's loyalhealth.com. Well, today we're going to dive into market research. To some people, that may be a foreign term, but today's podcast is all about it. I mean, don't you think we all do that to some degree? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I always listen to what our competitors are publishing on, you know, on the Mm -hmm. radio and Mm -hmm. what billboards they're posting on my way into work. All those things. Isn't that called market research? It is. It is. I, you know, even uh, you know those that work in healthcare systems. Obviously, you commute to work, and so you see what the competitors doing, right? You see that there's a freestanding emergency center being built, or a new physician practice is going in somewhere. Uh, you mentioned 
you know, stuff you hear on the radio, maybe outdoor billboards, things like that. I would say, I guess, you know, that we, we all do marketing research to some degree, mm-hmm. you know, whether we, yeah. even on the digital side, whether we you know do it intently or not, that's probably a different question. We're half in jest when we're saying just looking at the billboards, there's a, a, a deep amount of market research that you can do in multiple different ways that you can do it. And I know many healthcare organizations spend a lot of time doing that, whether they're trying to assess new market opportunities or they're even trying to launch a new brand, market research becomes very important to them. As you, you know, consider what that looks like, you know, at least in my mind is researching the market. I know I'm just restating the same thing, but you know, researching mm-hmm. the market, the market in which you participate in and that market may from even from a ge- geographic positioning may change you know based mm-hmm. on you've now recruited a different physician so maybe it's some you know super crazy subspecialty and now you've got people coming from across the state or across the region maybe across the country or international even and so all of a sudden it changes the way you look at market research in in ultimately who your competitor is why don't we talk a little bit about some of the different ways that you can use market research for example you mentioned to identify potential new customers you bring in that physician maybe you're trying to identify where that new market is maybe you're going to draw them when i was living in new york draw them across the river to come to long island to come see a, a specialist which is a big thing that market research is involved with but what are some of the other ways that we can use market research reed well, I mean, even just to understand it, existing customers or, or maybe changing patterns in the market. I mean, an easy one you know, that I see here in, in Central Texas, obviously, Austin, uh, it's no shocker, but is a, is a place people want to move to. When I moved here, I don't know, 10 years ago, where I currently live would have been considered like way out. And now you're seeing these growth patterns around town. And so you can understand where are people moving, what are they doing, especially based Based on what's going in around them. Another way is to really set some realistic marketing sales or growth goals. You know, you, you see a marketing plan come in and they say, well, we want to achieve a 5% lift in market share or a 3% lift in market share. Mm-hmm. Market research can really help to set some of those realistic goals. Very recently, we were looking at a marketing plan that was trying to increase OB visits for our health system by 5%, yet the market in general was declining. Market research can help you contextualize that and set some realistic goals. I think growth plans a lot of times year to year, much like marketing plans, uh, you see a lot of the same initiatives year after year or over a several year kind of repetitive cycle. And what ends up happening if we don't take into account like maybe new competitors coming into the market. So not only are we probably not going to get that 5% lift, we'd be lucky to maintain because now we're going right. to be splitting market share with a third or a fourth or a fifth competitor. You know, another good application of market research is to really help to identify any kind of new market needs, you know, newer things that are coming into the market. Mm-hmm. And I remember recently I was working with a health system that realized there was a need for freestanding emergency departments yep. and, you know, did some market research to actually understand that and really determine where exactly they should build these freestanding EDs to address a new need that's in the marketplace. Wasn't there before. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that, that makes a ton of sense. If your organization is about access points, if what you're trying to do is feed into the mothership, so to speak, then yeah, going out and saying, you know what, this is a booming area, a growing area. There's not a lot of access points out here. Maybe you got a few physician practices, but there's not a hospital. 
maybe it's not quite large enough to support a hospital, you know, whatever it is, you will see a lot of those FSEDs pop up, even urgent care clinics and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. You see a lot of those competitors come into market that are not healthcare systems or not hospitals. Um, so, you know, understanding what those market conditions look like, all part of the equation. And that's a really another another really good application of market research, Reed, is that understanding your competition, really understanding not only those traditional competitors, other health systems that are in your marketplace, but these other new entries that are coming in, maybe more retail focused. And, you know, looking even as we've talked about often before, some of the technology upstarts that are coming into the market like Amazon mm-hmm. or what have you, and how they're going to change what the market drivers are for the future. Even simple stuff like... CVS or Walgreens offering flu shots or, or something mm-hmm. like that. It's also about you know your competitors doing something philosophically different in their business. You know, so now mm-hmm. if all of a sudden somebody that's never built a freestanding emergency room decides to like break ground four of them, you know that's probably something you want to like make note of. Uh, does that seem to denote a trend? Does it seem like they're mm-hmm. dabbling in something? So let's face it, market research is really important to help us understand and even expand sort of the the various different business offerings that we are providing to our space. Reed, have you ever undergone any kind of market research before? Absolutely. We worked with hospitals as they've gone through things like looking at out-migration studies. But, uh, what types of cases are leaving uh, what would be considered maybe their primary or maybe even secondary service areas? And, and that obviously mm-hmm. then goes against physician recruitment strategies or you know whatever it may be. I would assume that you know many of this market research that we do that we, we kind of follow some very typical methods that are being used. You know I've done some things where I've done like, for example, focus groups. Where you're actually, you know, pulling together a group of people and uh, asking them certain questions, trying to get some insight from them. Typically, focus groups are also coupled with free donuts and coffee because you want to make it worthwhile for people to come and sit in a room together. Yeah, bagels. We can't do donuts. <laughs> we're, we're in healthcare, so you have to do bagels. But yes, focus groups. Food equates to people participating. So focus groups are great, and we've seen those. Obviously, what you're talking about is, is stuff that's in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also seen you know, online focus groups, and there's different ways to do that. Uh, you know, something kind of similar. So focus groups, at least in my mind, are typically uh, kind of a one and done. You know, you bring people in, you get some information. Hey, thanks for coming. Uh, but it's some of more of like a, an advisory council type of a role, mm-hmm. right? So you see this with uh, 55 plus. You see this with women's that you go around as a healthcare organization, as a healthcare system, and you find women in your market to participate on a regular basis. And you run all your ideas past them, not just marketing campaigns, ideas, mm-hmm. slogans. I mean, that stuff too, but more clinical or you know even procedure-based ideas. Hey, we're thinking about mm-hmm. building this here or putting this here or adding this amenity. PFACs, right? Patient Family Advisory Councils, yeah, that go. sort of thing. Another way, too, is, is taking it away from the group approach and maybe even conducting one-on-one interviews. And I've seen that mm-hmm. happen as well, where you're really gathering some of that, that source data from individuals rather than a group. That's another approach that I've seen. Yeah, you're just standing on the corner, flagging people down with the big... Like yeah, the, hey, you got a second... The spinning sign or like the big white guy and the wavy thing. Yeah, interviews are great. <laughs> and of course... We get the more formalized interview through like age caps and stuff like that. But this would be a little more, could be very, very specific about, uh, again, some of those same same topics, or it could be, you know, taking some of that more formalized data 
drilling a little bit further down with a with a subset or something like that, uh, which bleeds into obviously the surveys, uh, which I just mentioned. So you, you've mm-hmm. got H caps, uh, you have other clinic visit type. You know how how good was it? How long do you have to wait? You know some quick hit surveys, even stuff that gets served up while people are on site to be able to understand utilization and mm-hmm. you know how fast people are moving. You know, what you could do to make things better, that kind of stuff. And related to that is also another tactic that's used. More times than not, it's around, I've, I've used this when building out new websites, which is user groups, where you're typically using it to gather some data around a specific use case or a specific task. I've seen this also happen when organizations are kind of planning out maybe new layouts of an emergency department, or maybe they want to introduce a new service through their women's health, and they're, they're trying out new types of products or services and they're they're bringing in a user group to really focus in on that and kind of running them through the scenario and then asking them some specific questions along the way to really diagnose if that's going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And then finally, um, you know, something along the lines of like test markets. We see this in other industries a lot. You hear this a lot with like Amazon or Whole Foods or somebody like that that is testing same day delivery or is testing what's the one up in the pacific northwest where you can go in like there's somebody that works in the amazon store and you just like go in and walk out with stuff and it automatically charges you or whatever they're doing just kind of that beta test pilot program test market Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it but a lot of times if you have a healthcare system that has multiple hospitals in the same system you know they'll start with one hospital try something if it works well you know then they can roll it out to those other hospitals so those are some of the primary marketing research methods and you know i have to say that i in in my experience in healthcare i've been involved in every one of these types of scenarios but then there's this other type of market research that can be conducted as well which is maybe more secondary in nature where you're actually looking at information maybe in a more passive sense. So like, for example, you could do uh, benchmarking, benchmarking against yourself, maybe benchmarking against your competitors, really to determine uh, any kind of KPI or a key performance indicator to compare against others in your industry or maybe in your market. Uh, I'm just doing one right now where I'm doing a competitive assessment of uh, hospitals online to see where their SEO strength is, for example. We think of this a lot in the digital advertising realm because there's a lot of metrics there. Uh, so you mentioned mm-hmm. SEO. So you have things like keyword analysis and density and some of those types of things. You can also benchmark uh, review scores of consumer sites, which we've spent a lot of time working with Facebook, Yelp, Google, you know, those types of things. You know, what, what are, how are other people, even just the utilization of those, how many reviews do they have, not just the score, right. and, you know, and getting some benchmarks and, and understanding. And you can do even just some elementary stuff, like if you're able to copy and paste out of a program or out of a, off of a site, you can throw it in a word cloud tool, mm-hmm. maybe get some ideas on, you know, what are people saying or themes, you know, that's kind of that next iteration besides just the actual metric itself. Uh, but benchmarking is a good one. You see a lot of companies out there like Truven and Leapfrog and stuff like that that do a lot of that, especially in the quality space. And then another way that you can actually do some secondary research is around sales or usage data, where you're actually looking at 
the way your products or your services are being used to either look at to see where utilization is at, so determine perhaps like that could that could lead to a development of new services. A lot of times you're using CRM to assess where there might be some capacities, or even like things like SG2 or or any kind of market research tool, mm-hmm. like to assess how is is healthcare being purchased and used within your market space. That's an interesting one. Like I mentioned earlier about the uh, out migration. If you're able mm-hmm. to drill and understand, well, here are the procedures that originated in our zip code and where did they go? Well, then you, you get a pretty good idea of you know what you're missing out on. And you know, is there a way that you can provide that service closer to home is really what that comes down to. I remember working at a salt mm-hmm. community provider hospital and having a cancer center there meant people could receive treatment without having to leave the market. And that was a big deal. I mean, that's a big convenience thing. There's a lot to that. And so understanding uh, what the market looks like is important. You know, another one I see a lot, Reed, that's, that um, health systems are turning to is the publishing of government data. Now, it's not only like CMS. CMS publishes claims data and shows sort of, you know, overall usage across the entire country. And a lot of organizations use that data to do some predictive modeling against healthcare, like health grades and others use that. But not only just CMS, states themselves are starting to publish uh, data on their websites around usage of healthcare, where the trends are in healthcare in their state. And you can get out to this data. I mean, sometimes it's a little hard to get to because it's not published in a very easy to find way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so some of that government data it even bleeds into things like where are 911 calls coming from, where do stroke mm-hmm. visits happen? Is that, is, you know, we're seeing that in, in certain parts of the state or in certain counties and, you know, some of those types of things. And mm-hmm. you may be using it not from a clinical standpoint, but from an education standpoint. So where do we need to go? Mm-hmm. How do we need to educate the community around different topics based on what we're seeing in those areas? And then finally, you know, commercially sourced data. And that kind of maybe encompasses some of the different things here. Uh, you know, one that comes mm-hmm. to mind, and maybe this is a loose interpretation of commercially sourced data, but it's also kind of a benchmark as well. But is and you see this a lot in the IT space. You know, how much are hospitals spending on IT resources each year, and you know, some of those types of things. So, you can go out there and find information about your specialty, about your area. Uh, your vertical, different mm-hmm. things like that. And there are tools that do that. And the, t- the, the big tools are, I mentioned one before, SG2, like so strategic planning tools that can actually pull in commercially sourced data. But even CRMs, healthcare CRMs, are using longitudinal data that they're pulling in from you know, a variety of other places to get a really good sense of the propensity of your, of your space so that you can actually start to understand your market a little bit better and understand the consumers that are there and maybe even how to communicate and respond to them a little bit differently. That's a really big application of commercially sourced data in health systems nowadays is through their CRM. Yeah, I think so. And I think we, you know, we historically have seen this. Some of the bigger systems especially have somebody dedicated to strategic planning. Mm -hmm. You know, they have different job titles. It may actually say strategic planning in their job title in a lot of cases uh, that I've seen at least. But it's funny, again, looking in the rearview mirror, that's ironically not in the marketing department very often. It's just kind of this standalone thing, and it's done for planning purposes. And I mean, I kind of get that a little bit, I guess, uh, because, you know, we're talking about what what historically has been marketing's role is to execute off of the plan, not to come up with the plan. Yeah. 
That's um, right. But now I think because of, like you mentioned, CRM is, is a great example. We now have tools and capabilities to do more than advertising because we really weren't a marketing department. We were an advertising department. And I think that's mm-hmm. where now mm-hmm. we're truly growing into a marketing department. Therefore, the need for strategic planning or strategic planning becoming part of what marketing does is, is maybe kind of like the way to look at that. It's back to that whole thing about the four P's of marketing. And traditionally in hospitals and health systems, three of the P's are in the strategic planning department. And the, the fourth one, promotion, is within marketing. So pricing, product, and placement traditionally comes from strategic planning, whereas right. promotion comes from marketing. And we've talked about this before. We're seeing organizations now kind of pull together strategic planning and marketing so that they're working more closely. But still, you know, that's I, I say we're well behind most other industries in this space, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. And again, I, you know, it's, I hate to always take this cop out, but it depends on you know what organization and where we're talking about. I mean, I think there's some pretty forward-thinking mm-hmm. organizations mm-hmm. where you know that head of marketing is over strategic planning. You know, one of our former guests, Matt Gove. I don't know, he's not really head of marketing, but as a chief consumer officer, I think before that it was maybe called growth. You know, he has marketing underneath him. He has strategic planning, some different things like that, and so. You do see some organizations do that. It's just not the norm at this point. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. So then along comes digital. And why I say that is because over the last 10 years, Reed, we have seen digital tools being used more and more frequently within market research. And in fact, you know, some of these major platforms are developing digital marketing research tools that are kind of add-on components to what, they, what they've traditionally been offering. Right. The most common one, I guess the one that's been around the longest, let's say, is some sort of web analytic tool. Most commonly, I guess, Google Analytics, but there are some others out there that people use. And we've used those historically to, in, in a reactionary way, to we build a website, prop it up, and then sit back to see who comes there and what they do. We haven't really used it to plan anything. There's that kind of that double-edged sword of that because if you're if you're measuring, let's say for example, I was working in a health system where we had, you know, a not so good website and we we're looking to expand and improve the website. We tapped into Google Analytics to actually see how people were using the existing website. So that's one of those research t- methods that we mentioned before where we we're looking at some of the data to determine where we're at, what our current state is at. And while that's very helpful, that's extremely helpful, what it also showed us is what we didn't know. And what I mean by that is it really revealed to us that people weren't finding the information they were looking for, but it didn't reveal to us what it was they were looking for. So people were going through our website, hitting four or five pages and then just leaving. Right. So it's, it's telling you a trend. It's not really telling you now this is what you should go do. 
Because I think that's some of the trouble we run into with Google Analytics uh, or web analytics in general is just the idea that these are the most popular pages on the website. Well, I mean, maybe, or maybe they're selling ones you might find. Right, so it's like a false, it's a, it's a false positive. The ability to look at what you have is good, um, but then also you're, you're back mm-hmm. to the benchmark piece. What should we be doing? What, what do people want to find and how do you do that? Well, maybe it's focus groups, maybe it's user testing. You can't just do one of these things without some of the others. And I remember one of these painful lessons where we did a, uh, a user group where one of the things we were looking at is people were desperately looking for, on our website, through the analytics, for the phone number of one of our hospitals. And you could see that that's what they were searching for, this one in the search terms, et cetera. And so we're like, well, we're going to focus group that, and we're going to just kind of walk down and see exactly how people are searching for it. And it wasn't until our very first focus group, where we actually had someone in the room, read where we were starting that test, when I realized we never actually published the phone number for that hospital on our website. We were testing for something that wasn't there. Analytics, still a little bit on the reactionary side because you're waiting for traffic to come in and then deciphering what that means. Now, you can proactively use it once you get the traffic coming in, but one that maybe makes uh, a little more of a board-facing view is Google Trends. It's free. Mm-hmm. People people use it for different things, uh, but I think it is interesting to use, and I'll give you a real-world example. For those who don't know, Google Trends, you can type in some different keywords. It kind of gives you Oh, we look at the volume of that traffic. Um, something kind of interesting to look at, and I would encourage everybody to go do this. If you have different campaigns around different like health observance months or certain service lines, plug some of those keywords in because what you'll start realizing is uh, like an easy one's breast cancer awareness. That's October. Everybody knows that. In October, we're going to run campaigns. Well, if you look at the trend mm-hmm. data, you would be better served to start running that second week of September because you're going to catch that on the way up versus waiting for all the noise to hit and then trying to compete at the peak of all the pink noise. See what I did there instead of white noise, pink noise. Um, I like it. But, but anyway, so that's, that's one of those things that you can look at and that's just, that's a really simplistic scenario, but you know, it's looking at trends. So it's the ability to do that. Well, and you hear more and more too that Google is getting into that space where it's using not only these tools like the the trends report, but it's actually taking that to a much broader level where they're trying to predict where flu outbreaks are occurring or where potential epidemics are occurring. To that end, they realize, Google realizes that they have a massive market research database at their hands. That's basically what they are. That's why they launched their whole Think with Google website. Have you gone to the with Google website read? Yeah, I have. It's kind of interesting, right? There's a lot of reports and they've really become the experts around market research, at least how it's done online. They've published a lot of articles around market research, how to use Google in a way to actually effectively amplify your your research capabilities and also sharing some of the trends that they have and that's why they do these offshoots where you see you know every two or three years they come out with a new online healthcare patient journey from google think with google as publishing these sorts of things and they're doing it for a variety of industries but in healthcare we really find a lot of value in yeah it is and i would encourage anybody to go check that out it's literally thinkwithgoogle.com and so you can go down 
And there's uh, all the way down the page, you, you can look at some of the, you know, where you can take a deeper dive is what they call it. And so you can look at some of the marketing resources around data and measurement, experience and design. And under experience and design, you can even drill into like customer journey mapping. It's cool. So it's a great resource. And they have these tools on there, Reed, for market research, like for online retailers, they have shopping insights and they have testing your site, how it's working. Google has definitely put a firm foot or even both feet into the market research world, but they're not the only players on the block, right? Exactly. Even though they may be, they may be the biggest, obviously uh, Facebook, well, I say they're the biggest. Are they the biggest? I don't know. Google? Google's bigger than Facebook, I think, right now. Well, at least that we know of, right? I mean, I don't know what Facebook knows, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'm not going to get into all the all the breaches and all that kind of stuff for another day. But Facebook Insights is interesting. Uh, it, it tells you a lot about who your audience is, uh, who interacts with you and things like that. And so, again, you can start, especially content planning, based off of what a lot of these things tell you. And so you know what worked well, what didn't work well who engages, when they engage, you know, all that type of stuff. You know, Facebook insights and, you know, related social media tools like Twitter has some insight tools and LinkedIn has fewer, but still there's some out there. Any kind of that social media market research that you do tells a a bigger picture, like a a bigger picture of the psychographic uh, information that is related to your fans or your followers. Now, Facebook definitely, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago, where they're putting a pixel in to track you across all these different websites because they're trying to expand the understanding of you and how you relate to all the different properties online. But putting that aside, as we're putting, it seems like we're putting a lot of things around Facebook to the side, Reed. Are we, are we being apologetic for Facebook right now? I don't know. Um, anyway, putting aside all of the trickiness of Facebook, it's a powerful research tool that you can use to really understand the people that are engaging with your content and with your brand, in effect. Yeah, and we're, we're seeing that grow, right? So, I mean, people, a lot of people say, well, Facebook's dying, everybody's going to Instagram. Well, that's fine, but Facebook owns Instagram, too. So, understanding the analytics, what they mean, and I guess just getting smart about that. Because, again, we've, we've gone from being a true advertising department to now being marketing, which means we have to look at planning. Mm-hmm. Facebook, mm-hmm. Google, Instagram to some degree, Twitter to some degree, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. to some degree, all starting to shape that process. And so, again, couple some of that. Let that inform what you do in your focus groups, uh, your surveys, your interviews, things like that. It's mm-hmm. it's an interesting way to validate and or you know, mark some stuff off the list. To sum up this conversation, I found an article around five different market research trends that we need to watch in 2018. And, you know, because we like listicles, um, it might be good for us to maybe end end the conversation and kind of drill into these five different research trends and maybe talk a little bit about them. Not surprisingly, artificial intelligence plays a big role in the future trends, right? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely does. AI is one of the primary things that I saw at South by Southwest. It was in the title of a lot of sessions. And so obviously with the stuff that we've seen around voice first and some of that kind of stuff, chatbots, et cetera, all, all the things, and we won't spend a lot of time on it, but we've had episodes on those and people a lot smarter than us talking about it. And so it will change the way people engage and is changing the way people engage. Uh, I already see it with my son with just an Echo Dot in his room. That's how he sets a timer. That's how he finds out what the score of the ball game is. That's how he finds out what time it is. 
So he doesn't pick mm-hmm. up his phone to see what time it is. He just asks Alexa. Whereas, you know, my dad's going to look at his watch. I'm going to look at my phone. My son's going to ask a device. Who knows what it's going to be like in 10 years. Okay, so let's dig into this article. It was published on visioncritical.com. The author pulled together five predictions that he says is going to transform the way market research occurs in the future. So number one is he's predicting that artificial intelligence will transform engagement. What he goes on to say is that AI has entered the consumer landscape. It will make a really big impact in market research. And he quotes David Sackman, who is the CEO of Lieberman Research Worldwide, in which he predicts that AI will transform many aspects of research, including the survey and questionnaire development, field management, big data analytics, and advanced computing power. So pretty much all of market research is going to be transformed by artificial intelligence, sounds like. Yeah, so we'll just be able to ask our Echo Dot where to build an FSCD. <laughs> yes. So that means. Cannot wait for that day. Yes, it sounds like a future podcast episode. Will voice-first technology replace the strategic planning in hospitals? <laughs> yeah. Echo Dot, Vice President of Strategic Planning. Uh, all right, so, and then uh, prediction two, uh, leaner teams put an emphasis on soft skills. So, just like the first prediction, AI is not the only thing influencing people uh, around the aspect of market research, but they're going to look to actually connect companies with market researchers. Uh, more inside departments will be leaner in the next year. Many employers are placing a greater emphasis on soft skills, keeping in mind that within a leaner team, each individual will have a greater impact on the group dynamic. I guess assumptively, the new people that they hire will also have be really good at asking the right questions of their Amazon Echo Dots, right? <laughs> it, all goes, it all goes back to the voice first piece. So. Okay, so prediction three is a topic we don't get into a lot. Political instability produces ripple effects. You know, the side effects of Brexit and the Russian interference with our election and all of that has really cast a lot lot of shadow of uncertainty on the global economy. But what they're indicating here is that what happens on the world economy and world trade could be causing instability in the overall space. But it also causes a lot of concern around the use of these tools like Facebook and others, to actually do research around, are we really getting a good sense of what the market is doing? It's interesting. Mm -hmm. Prediction four, more automation means faster research. And that makes sense, I guess, right? And again, this kind of, uh, I guess, runs in parallel with AI. Automation's abilities are consistently growing. uh, And this, along with the increased adoption by both agencies and brands, is driving big changes in the industry. That's what he says. So the pressure is on to deliver faster, cheaper, and better research for the clients. So something they can only do with the help of automated processes. So we don't have to conduct those user groups, you know, 50 user groups in the community and buy all those bagels. We could just start using automation to get people's interests online and make it so much easier. Maybe what will happen is focus groups of the future will just feature an Amazon Echo Dot right there in the room asking questions of the audience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 
It's all about the echo. Prediction number five, the rise of automation will result in an increase in qualitative methods. So really what they're saying is now that we're using automation and AI, that we're gonna get better information because now we could process that data faster. Gone are those days where we're you know taking tallies of 500 surveys on paper and putting them into an Excel spreadsheet. Now we can actually start to grab more data, make more insights, more longitudinal insights across those data sets, and even draw parallels between them. What they say here is that there's going to be a mo- more focus on quote-unquote consumer closeness methods and the increased adoption of online communities, in-person groups, and mobile ethnography. Whew. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> That's a lot of big words. Uh, hopefully I can hang on for retirement. Absolutely. You just got to learn that Amazon Echo Dot. That's all I'm saying. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've, we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to InfluenceHealth.com. Touchpoint. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! All right, now's the time in every episode where we uh, pick polar opposite viewpoints of today's topic. So, touch point, touch counterpoint topic for today is when is too much, too much. Too much of the time. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess what we're saying here is now that we have access to all this data and all this information, and now we have AI and mm-hmm. automation that could kind of help us with do the market research, are we going to gather too much information? So is there like, is there diminishing returns at some point? Like there's only so much we can learn and then at some point it's just repetitive or we're, we're just over proving the point. I think that we have gotten to the point where we are hitting the plateau of data. There is only so much that we can learn. I don't even know why we're going this far into marketing automation, into these, into artificial intelligence. We are hardly able to take action with the information that we're gathering today. Why are we even going after all of this stuff? I just wish we would just kind of sit back and say, are we really conducting this user group right? Let alone, can we use you know artificial intelligence to assess millions of records of our users? I think if we have the opportunity to drill into the point quicker and more often, why would we not do that? I mean, good grief. We're already in too many meetings. Like we need one more focus group to go to or one more meeting to have. Or at some point, we're now relying on like eight people in a room to dictate you know, what we're going to do with a 
million, if not billion dollar organization. You know, so I think the ability to be able to rinse all these data points through on a, I mean, almost instantaneous basis, like, why would we not do that? I understand your point, Reed, but I don't even think we're taking the basic of the data to apply that to, you know, to, to what we're trying to develop here. We are so rooted in our own biases and our own internal assumptions about what the best thing to do with our health system is or what our, you know, our business is, that we're not even taking into account some of the observations we're getting from even the most basic data, let alone the 1,000th points of data that we can now gather on users to make those nuanced decisions. Come on, let's just build healthcare that actually works before we actually go down the path to see if AI and all this other stuff is going to work for us. But I think that's what does build the healthcare that works. And so I think we've got the ability to create a system and be responsive to people's individualized needs based on these millions of data points. And so now we can get more precisely to the point, address the needs, deliver the care versus having this uh, scenario where we're you know trying to basically meet everybody's needs just kind of across the board with our best guesses. I don't know. I think you're being a little too aspirational with what we're trying to do with market research. It's enough for us to know what our net promoter score is. I think that gives us a good indicator about whether of, of where the market trends are. And quite frankly, you know, what I've learned in, in all my uh, experience around mathematics, statistics, etc., that it really becomes you want to get just enough data to make decisions. You're never going to be able to map out every scenario so that you can build that nuanced healthcare system. Let's just build a hospital where we have no waiting time, where doctors can be on time and we don't charge enough. That's all we really care about. Yeah. Is it? Is that all we really care about? (laughs) Uh, I mean, how are they going to be on time if we don't have a better way to evaluate? And this also allows us the ability to not have to only rely on our own data. That's true. Okay, this is where I start to cave. And I, and I want to put it on record that I normally don't cave on my arguments. It's usually you that caves <laughs> first, Reed. But I will cave this time and say, you're right. All of these additional data points are going to help us. I do think there is a law of diminishing returns. We, we could measure too much. And just because we have to measure everything doesn't mean it's going to give us that insight. We have to really focus on the measuring those things that actually do matter. But you're right, Reed. Getting this additional data from all these different data points is going to help us to build a better product, better service for the future. All right. Welcome back to the Ask the Experts section. In today's podcast, we've been talking, Reed and I have been talking a lot about market research in our expert part of the podcast. We're going to be talking to an expert in the industry, and that happens to be Joseph Ridgway with Bruno and Ridgway Research Associates. Joseph, welcome to the podcast today. Chris, thanks for inviting me to, to be on this podcast today. Many people that are listening in may not know about your background. You want to give a little brief history? We have over 50, almost 50 years of market research experience, and it spans basically all verticals, including healthcare and pharma companies to device companies, uh, consumer products companies, 
law firms and hospital and health systems. The work we've historically done uh, over our 50 years encompassed various types of market research and hospitals and healthcare systems really jumped into consumer market research about 25 years ago. It appeared they began to take a page out of the consumer products company's playbook and pharmaceutical playbook in terms of the need to talk to the consumer about their wants and needs and to make strategic and intelligent business decisions. This idea of consumerism in healthcare is rapidly being escalated over the last you know couple of years, I would say. I like to think that the advent of that is around the openness of, of information around digital and, and social media and things like that. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the history that you've seen in the, the many years that you've been working with hospitals, how you've seen market research evolve and shift. It's interesting. Consumerism is, to me, is, a, is an old term. It's, it's new in the healthcare space, but with regard to when we started conducting market research for our hospital clients, their primary reason to begin doing research was to really understand what the consumer wanted. They were kind of ahead of the curve when it came to the, to the healthcare vertical, the hospital vertical, and they really wanted to, to see, A, what the consumer wanted and what they were delivering on and what they could be delivering on to make themselves more marketable to the consumer. Also, another need was to see what the impression or the perception of their competitors were in their marketplace. One of the great stories I have is when I was first approached at a conference by a small community hospital, in my opinion about whether or not to conduct research, the hospital wanted to, to find out what consumers were driven by, but they had limited budget. So we designed a survey uh, for their market and were able to execute it within the framework of their budget. And really from that point on, because of the consumer research, along with other strategic moves, they were able to expand from a small community hospital to one of the largest integrated healthcare systems on the East Coast. And all along that, those years, those 25 years, market research was a critical component in their decision-making process. You know, a lot of hospitals and health systems look at market research in a very episodic way, right? Maybe they're launching a new brand. Maybe they're looking to introduce a new product or service. Or, you know, and sometimes in my space, it's like launching a new website and they want to do a little research and competitive, et cetera. Tell us a little bit about your perspective of how hospitals can take market research and really kind of ingrain that into the lifeblood of what they're doing all the time? That's a great question. We're talking about consumerism and consumer research, but there's there are several different types of research that hospitals should really consider on a regular basis. And when I say regular, it could be annual or biannual. Market assessment studies, and I'll touch a little bit on those and what that means. Consumer health needs assessments, mandated, but there is great information that we get out of those types of studies that we conduct. Physician satisfaction studies are also critical with our hospital clients. At the end of the day, um, they're your basically your, your spokesperson for the hospital, hopefully the last touch point that a patient has. Also employee engagement research, and finally, advertising testing. Is your advertising resonating and sending out the proper message that you're trying to convey? Going back to the, the market assessment studies that we regularly conduct among consumers, oftentimes there's two main reasons. Our client wants to discover and determine whether an expansion project is feasible. So for instance, if they're looking to open up an outpatient center, an ambulatory care center, or expand a service line within a hospital, they invest in conducting market research to see basically is it is it feasible? Will at the end of the day will that 
particular practice be profitable. The other thing that they think of oftentimes, and I talk to our marketing clients about this, is they're putting a lot, oftentimes putting a lot of energy and resources and investments in these areas. So why not conduct the research? Why leave that out and leave it to chance? So you eliminate that chance of it not going well by conducting quantitative market research. How long does like a, a typical consumer market assessment last? Is that like a, a one and done kind of thing? Or do you do that on a regular basis? It depends on the need. Sometimes there's an expansion project. So you figure from start to finish about five to six weeks. That includes a complete design based on the objectives. It, it includes the implementation and, and sample plan and a proper sample plan so you're hitting the right people, as well as a, a final executive summary that gives the hospital executive direction in terms of what, okay, I have this information, now what? And so we're able to, to shed light on now what? What do, what, what do I do with the information? What about ongoing market assessments? What does that look like? Oftentimes, you know, with the competitive landscape, whether it's consolidation of hospitals, the hospitals need to, on an ongoing basis, really get a temperature of what consumers' feelings are about you, about the hospital, what their perceptions are, attitudinal measurements, and also likely usage, um, past experience. Advertising recall, is that the advertising that they're hearing effective? So something like that, especially when there's changes, and now, as you know, Chris, healthcare is ever-changing. There's things going on all the time. You know, everybody goes through these changes, basically. To keep a pulse on attitudes and perception about your your hospital and how you're delivering on your services Mm -hmm. is critical. And hospitals should be doing that. If they can, if they have the budget on an annual basis. And when a previous episode, we had one guest that say hospitals tend to be industries where we ask our consumers a lot of questions, yet we don't get a lot of information out of out of it. So that kind of speaks to the fact that maybe we're not conducting some of this research the right way. So from your experience working with hospitals and health systems, what are some of the challenges that they have getting into doing effective market research? That's that's an interesting point that your guest brought up because oftentimes, you know, the, the old HCAPS research, which has value, it, it doesn't get into the weeds and it isn't granular enough to really get what's currently happening in their space. And I think the, the challenge is, is coming up with really customized approaches based on the need. Mm. Uh, and, and that's where we come in mm-hmm. as consultants. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we want to look and talk to you about your objectives. What are you trying to do? And then we come up with a plan for you that will get on a quantifiable basis the answers that you're looking for. And I think that the, the, if you look at an HCAP survey, mm-hmm. you get general information. So they aren't getting enough. They're getting information on how the patient experience was, which is important and it has value. But for a marketer who's trying to grow their brand or you know get more people into the hospital they need a lot more information than that and that's where we come into play yeah and sometimes structuring the market research or the questions that you're asking or however you're conducting or engaging you know getting that information can be a bit of a challenge right i we we're not very good at understanding what our needs are sometimes yeah i mean it, it that's where the, internally with the with hospital executives everyone it almost has to be a team approach internally so everybody's on board mm-hmm. and you understand what you want to do it's and oftentimes well you can't do it by yourself you need help mm-hmm. 
And with a market research firm, um, if they're good and they partner with you and you're dealing with the right people, they will guide you in terms of, of helping you figure out what, what it is that you need to do, the approach you need to take, the information that you'll want gathered, and all the steps of the market research project. It's much more than getting people in a room and feeding them donuts and asking them questions, right? <laughs> it is. And, you know, there is value to that. I don't ever want to underestimate focus groups. When I hear that, I cringe sometimes is that we have to do a focus group. We have to do a focus group. And a focus group is great. And, and, it, and it provides anecdotal information. Hospital executives love focus groups from what I've seen. However... If you're making these critical decisions, you're trying to blow out your brand and, and build your brand strategically, whether it's it's you want to do an ad campaign that resonates or if you want to build an outpatient center, if you skip the quantitative market research, you're making a big mistake because with that information, you're making educated decisions that are critical because A, financially, you can't afford to make bad decisions. And by investing in that type of market research, it's, it's extraordinarily helpful and will pay dividends at the end of the day, whether it's to move along with a project or not to move along with a project. So one of our hospital clients approached me, a very loyal marketing person I've been working with for almost 25 years, said the health system wants to build an outpatient center in this town. And I had recommended, highly recommended because of the financial investment that we do conduct market research to see if people will come. If we build it, will people come? They said, okay, go ahead and do it, but we're, we're going to move forward with the project. Well, we did the study and what we found was the competition was so entrenched in that marketplace that regardless of the power of the name behind this, this hospital client, it would take years to see the gain in building an outpatient center in that specific area. That particular project was next they didn't do it. Mm. And, and it, it came down to doing the market research. And as a market researcher, I breathe a sigh of relief saying, thank God, you know, that they, <laughs> they did go this path and decide to do the market research. I, that really shows the criticality of doing appropriate research when you're investing or looking to expand for sure. So Joseph, we talk a lot about digital marketing and digital experience. And so part of today's conversation is around all the variety of digital tools that are now available to organizations to help conduct research. Tell me your perspective on that. There's a, there are a couple things. Now, as you probably are aware, that online panels are becoming more and more accessible. What we can do if we do, if we do our sampling properly, we can mimic the market where our hospital client is from a sampling plant perspective. At the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's a much more cost-effective approach to gathering information. So one technique that keeps growing is online research among panelists. Another really cost-effective tool, and we invented, well, I like to say we invented this, is, a, is something called Opinions and Insights. And what Opinions and Insights is, it's a, it's a point of care survey, simple survey that's given to the patient at the point of discharge whether in a hospital setting or within a, a practice. It's very cost-effective for clients to get or hospitals to get instant feedback on the level of care that a patient received. Traditional methods, believe it or not, Chris, are still very much alive, and we do them for some of the largest healthcare systems where we use a telephone methodology to collect feedback from consumers and opinions from consumers. And what that allows us to do, it allows us to ask open-ended questions very effectively because you're able to probe. So if someone says, I, I don't like XYZ Hospital because the location, well, 
you can expand on that. So access becomes an issue, right? So why, what's wrong with the location? Well, I can't get to it. You know, the roads are too congested or there's not a facility near me. So there's all different things you can ask in a telephone format methodology that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to do in a self-administered format. Oftentimes when we talk to our client, budget oftentimes doesn't allow, allow our clients to do research. There's a simple solution that's often overlooked. It's right underneath their noses and it's the employee engagement. They can go to their employees on a quarterly or annual basis to really gauge what their perception is of consumers' perception of the hospital. What I mean by that, whether they have touch points in the clinical environment, they're out in the communities. They're listening to people, whether they're at their churches, at their supermarket, at a, at a, a party. You know, people give their opinion. And oftentimes, people give their opinion without even being asked. What we tell our clients is, look, there's nothing wrong to go into to your constituents, to your employees, and asking them, say, what are you he- what's the beat on the street about us? What are you hearing about us? What are you hearing that we're doing well? What are you hearing that we're not doing so well? What are you hearing about our competition? So you get some CI work in there too, and you can gather that it may not be as great as going directly to the consumer that, that you're serving, but it's not a bad, it's, it's better than doing nothing at all. And in fact, it can be very powerful depending on how you do it. That's like a super pro tip right there. <laughs> You're too kind. You're too kind. All right. So let's pivot the conversation now to talking about an upcoming webinar that you're doing. Tell us a little bit about that. And maybe you could share a little insight or two from that. We're doing an, an upcoming webinar in early May. We're going to take the participants through our journey of three or four case studies where we actually did, we had a business objective. We we'll take them through the situation, what the hospital was looking to discover, why they decided to do market research, how we implemented that market research, how the marketing strategist took that information and engaged senior leadership in terms of the outcomes of the research. And then finally, what, what, the, what the outcome was, what did they wind up doing with the information that we gave them? These are pretty big studies that we've done. We've done thousands of, of studies for hospitals over the years. These are our most recent that really are centered around the consumerism and, and how our hospital clients are using this type of research to, to make informed decisions and choices. And taking them through the entire process, sharing some case studies, that's that sounds tremendously uh, imp- uh, valuable. How can people learn about that webinar? If you go to www.brra.com forward slash webinar, you will be able to um, get a little background on the webinar and register. And I hope to, that you can join us. It sounds like it'd be tremendously helpful for the people listening in to do that. Do so. Joseph, this has been a great conversation. Before we go, um, there may be people listening in that want to learn a little bit more about you uh, and, and your company. I can give you my email address if that's okay. It's joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H, at B as in Bob, R as in Robert, R as in Robert, A as in Adam.com, Joseph at BRRA.com. And I would assume going out to BRAA.com also will give them a full insight into your, your company. Absolutely. All the background across the, the hospital world and the, and the work that we do among hospitals as well as the other, other markets. Awesome. Well, this has been a tremendously great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you, Chris. And I enjoy talking to you as well. Chris, good news. The healthcare industry now has its own domain name. Woo! 
What? Absolutely. Everybody knows that organizations have .org, education has .edu. Well, now .health is available and quickly becoming the home for all health-related content online. And listeners to our podcast can visit git.health slash touchpoint. Visit git.health slash touchpoint now. All right, wrapping up another successful episode, episode 60 on market research. So the big 6-0, we almost qualify for uh, Medicare, right? Here in a couple of episodes. Five episodes, we'll be at Medicare, and we can also be at Denny's at 4.30 at that early bird special. We've got a couple of things coming up before we get to recommendations. A couple of things coming up. The uh, Forums for Healthcare Strategies is going to be in Salt Lake City this year. Right there, that last uh, couple of days of April, first couple of days of May. So look that up over at uh, Healthcare Strategy. Chris and I will be there, of course, recording an episode of the podcast, but we're also doing a session on podcasting, which may or may not be the episode. That's right. We'll decide. So we may also do another episode while we're there. So we'll see how that goes. That'll be a lot of fun. Come say hi. I will be uh, up at the Hospital Association of Pennsylvania if you're up in that area mid-April. Ping me if you're up in those parts, but you can go to their website and find the dates for that. I'm going to be doing a webinar for Shushmid, along with some other fellow digital marketers across other health systems about the digital front door. That webinar is sponsored by Binary Fountain, our good friends and sponsor. So we want to thank them. And then in the June timeframe, can we already talk about June or is that too far away? No, you can. Okay, well, in June timeframe, I'm actually going to be at the Millennium Alliance. It's the Digital Healthcare Transformation Assembly. Maybe 30 or 40 people, uh, senior healthcare digital experts across the industry, coming together to workshop digital trends that are in the industry. So that's in early uh, June. Very cool. Very cool. Thanks, everybody out there for all the engagement on the uh, on the interwebs. So enjoy hearing oh, from yeah. everybody on Twitter and LinkedIn primarily. So that's uh, that's awesome. Please rate and review us, subscribe on iTunes, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, we certainly appreciate the help and the love, and that obviously helps other folks find us as well. So recommendations, what do you got? Well, Reed, I'm going to recommend an oldie but a goodie. This is a book that I was exposed to maybe 10 years ago by an author that has become sort of my change mentor and that's john cotter and the book is our iceberg is melting Mm. have you ever read this book read no change management is an important thing and it's actually something that i'm undergoing right now in my current role helping an organization through change uh, by embracing digital and john cotter is sort of a change management expert he's written a number of books he's consulted with hundreds and hundreds of organizations around this he's sort of like the legend in change management. About 10 years ago, he wrote this book, which is about a group of penguins who realize that their iceberg is melting. And really what it is, is sort of like a parable about change and how organizations can embrace change. And it, it's it's along the lines of one of those, uh, you know, Who Moved My Cheese books or, or something like that, where it's a kind of a softer story, but it tells a deeper parable about an organizational change. You can find it still online. You can download it on the Kindle store. You can actually probably find, you know, a free PDF of it out there somewhere on the interwebs. Not that I would recommend nice. downloading something free. You definitely want to pay John Cotter. And our iceberg is melting. That is my recommendation. There you go. Very good one. 
Mine is a little more low tech and I can't remember if I've recommended this before. So I'm just going to recommend it again. So if I have somebody, let me know. It's called a Sherpa S H E R P A. Uh, it is a pin cover. That's right. I've recommended a lot of pins. This is actually a pin cover. So Sherpa pincovers.com is the website. I've got the traditional one, but imagine this uh, as a pin without a refill, if that makes sense. And what you do is you use a traditional pin fits inside of this pin cover. Like right now I have a Sharpie inside this one, um, like a regular Sharpie, but it'll hold a Sharpie. It'll hold like the Uniball, some of the Uniball pins, some of the Pilot pins and et cetera. So I think it'll even hold some highlighters, et cetera. So they're making all these wild and crazy colors and patterns and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, it's kind of a neat way to dress up a cheap pin. If you like kind of the inexpensive rollerball pins or something like that, or even Sharpies, um, it's a kind of a cool way that you could kind of dress those up, especially if you like to wear it with your suit or in a pocket or something like that. Wait a second. Is this like a, a thing you put the pen in? It's like a pen holder yeah. or is it like a sleeve? Like, like almost like you have a case on your iPhone. No, no, no. It becomes the pin. Oh. Mm-hmm. So you throw away the lid that the disposable pin comes with, like the Sharpie lid you just pitch in the trash. And then you unscrew this pin, you put the Sharpie inside of it, and then it becomes a dressed up Sharpie. Proudly wear it in your pocket protector. Huh. And and thus ends this week's episode of Pimp My Pen with Reed Smith. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, Well, awesome. Well, thanks, everybody, again. We certainly appreciate the support. Again, if you haven't, would love for you to visit touchpoint.health. Let us know what you think. Check out some of the other shows. And like I said, we teased it a little bit, but more to come. We've got another couple of three shows that will be coming out and be launching with new hosts, new topics over the next couple of months. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. 